Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talked to E.B. Tucker. He's a non-executive director at Metalla Royalty and Streaming. We look at their precious metal business. Uh, we talk about the current, the lack of revenue, net losses, uh, year on year. But it doesn't seem too worried because they have got a very aggressive acquisition program going on. They've in fact done more deals than most of their peers over the last two two years. So um, lots to discuss in here. Um, EB is very robust about his defense of their business model and strategy and what the future looks like. And there's also talk of a spin-off nickel and copper royalty company coming later this year. Enjoy the podcast. EB, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Excellent. Uh, we spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. We talked about your book, Why Gold, Why Now? How are things going? How are sales? Pretty good. We, we, we've sold a tremendous amount of books. It's available all over the world. It's, it's been interesting. And, and you, know, you and I talked about this kind of why gold for the common man. And so I wanted to show you something today. Uh, of course, you recognize what this is. This is a one ounce American Eagle, you know, one ounce of gold. These have been around for a long, long time, different forms, but always one ounce. So this ounce of gold used to cost $20. This is this is $21 bills. And today it costs $1,800. So this this is how many $1 bills it takes to buy the same ounce of gold today that it did, you know, years ago, it was $20. And people have asked me, we've been doing the book interviews and talking with people and meeting with, with lots of interesting folks. And they've been asking me what happened. And I said, Look, I have a 1908 ounce of gold, I can show you it's the same size, nothing has changed. What changed is the dollar. The U.S. actually used to produce these $20 gold certificates. This is a $20 bill. It looks exactly like the same $20 bill now. And now that gets you nothing. I mean, you can't even have coffee and, and uh, croissant or something for breakfast for 20 bucks. I mean, it, it's barely worth anything. And that used to be the value of an ounce of gold. And so I wanted to share that with you because I found people are shocked, you know, as we're going out and talking to people that don't have experience in this, in this industry. They're just completely shocked that, that that much has changed. And the thing about it is, is you never notice the change. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a little bit. I mean, you know, you add another couple hundred bucks on the top of that stack and, and you barely even notice it. Well, fast forward five years, the stack is getting huge. And I think everyone knows right now that there's a problem. So I just wanted to say the book was really important at this time because we're on the edge of a period where you've still got time to do something, you know, and we'll talk about Metalla, which is my way to, to do something personally, but I think the basics are gold. You and I take it for granted all the time. People just don't understand what gold is all about. So hopefully this book helps them. Yeah, I think it's pretty well received. I think generally we've had some really, really positive comments and uh, sort of enjoyed the, the role play. I think you kind of made it, break it down, made it simple for people to understand. Let's not get into the economics of that right now and let's not get into stay with the book. I'm here to talk about Metallic Royalty. I'm excited about it. I like royalty companies. We're in, we're in a couple. Uh, I think it's a great model. You're a junior, early days, but uh, why don't we kick off and just give people that one minute overview and then we'll kind of get stuck into the, what you're trying to do. Yeah, so Metal is a royalty and streaming company. We started about four years ago, three and a half years ago. And our business model, we've told people since day one, I don't think anyone has listened. We've gone out and we've bought royalties in the third party market. And if you look at our presentation, you see we have royalties on Pan American, Gold Corp, Newmont, which is now part of Goldcourt, Barrick, 
um, Agnico Eagle, and you say to yourself, wait a second, how does a company with, you know, 250, 275 million market cap get a royalty on Barrick? I mean, how is that even possible? Well, we told you this from day one. There are thousands of royalties out there. People own these royalties, small companies own these royalties, and we approached them and we said, hey, wouldn't you like to sell that royalty into a company that's going to acquire, you know, many royalties of the same size, and then you own a more diversified version of what you have now, because you just got one royalty on Barrick. That's great. But I mean, it's not really worth a whole lot because you have no diversity. And that pitch has worked. I mean, we've done about 18 transactions, acquired about 50 royalties roughly. And people ask, well, can you keep going? Well, I mean, if you have luck 18 times, okay, I mean, maybe it's not luck, all right? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've got a strategy and maybe the strategy's working. So, you know, Metallic share price started out at $1.20 Canadian. It's about $7.15 today. It's been over 8 bucks. And I think the early shareholders have been able to see how this is not, this is a business, right? This is a building a royalty portfolio. Okay, we understand what you what you're trying to do, but let's let's get into the weeds here a bit, okay? Because there's a, there's a few things that have gone. You've been really busy. You you talk about you've done the most transactions out of you know all of your peers. Um, but I'd like to kind of help people break that down a bit and understand what it is that you're building, how you're building, and what it could mean in the future. Because this is a you know future future business. So. Um, what was it that you set out to do? Like I said, you're a junior. It's about 215 million market cap. That's nothing in, in precious metal royalties in, in North America. So day one, you decided precious metals was the way to go. Why? Well, we felt like something was going to turn in the gold market in 2016. Brett Heath and I used to run a fund together. We bought precious metal equities. You know, we ran this fund for years. So we have a long history together. And we had a lot of history in the industry. And we always saw these royalties that we called orphans. And so we said, how many can we acquire? And this means ounces in the ground over years and years. So it's not just having the Signico royalty, it's saying it, it's Santa Gratuitous. I mean, they're proving ounces, just drilling, 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 drilling. So what happens is, and people need to understand that this is the power of royalties, is that you have say a 1% yield off that claim. That means everything that comes out of the ground, every 100 ounces, you get one of those ounces. Well, that mining company, Igneco, is a serious company. It's, it's proving and proving and proving that deposit. So every time it comes out with a new resource estimate, we have more ounces. What happens is, is you end up with hundreds of thousands of ounces buried in the ground to come out in the future. And as the gold price moves, you get the value of those ounces today. So you pull those ounce values back into today. And that's the important piece to understand about royalty companies. Okay, and it's a, it's a net number as well. Right. So you, you, that's right. So you're taking it off the you top. You, if there's a labor strike, you know, no one calls you to come down there and diffuse the situation. So so it, it, it's a it's a straight royalty stake. It's a net stake. There's a lot of different royalties. You have smelter royalties. You have all these different types. But the reality is, is that they they're all quite similar. And what they mean is, is that a free carried interest, it's a non operating carried interest on the production of that property. Okay, so let, let's look at what you're trying to build here because it, it's really important the way that you blend the the deals that you do, okay? You have a lot of exploration in there, quite a lot of development and a little amount of uh, production, okay? So why have you gone for that structure? Because clearly the, the more production you get, the more cash you're producing. You know, as it stands right now, year on year, you're about 50% down on revenue. So talk me, talk me through the plan. 
I, that's a great question because because I've been a, a pretty outspoken force on the board. I, I'm not really that concerned about production. To me, development assets are the most important assets. Why? Because when you well, when you produce with the royalty, if you're like me, you get a little bit upset because those ounces come out of the ground and you have to replace them. So when you have a development asset, that means they're 24, 36 months away from production. They're working really hard to prove as many ounces as possible to get that thing into production, and they're not pulling anything out. So I have all those ounces in the ground. Every $100 gold goes up, I'm benefiting from those ounces, whereas every ounce that comes out and I produce it, I've burned that ounce up, and I've got to go out and replace that ounce. And so the best royalty investment is the one that has development assets that are close in the pipeline. Now, exploration, look, you're going to get some exploration assets. They're almost coming by accident. You know, you'll buy a package of royalties. There'll be an exploration asset there. You're not really on the hunt for exploration assets. The development assets have tremendous value. And in a year, two years, three years, they will be in production. It's not a junior. I mean, Ignico, Barrick, Goldcorp, Pan American. We're not talking about guys that are hoping for an equity financing to go into production. These are guys, they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. So why are you getting them? You're junior. Why aren't you know, more of your peers or people in the, mid, the, the mid-tier guys able to get these deals? What's so good about you guys? Yeah, because, there's, because I'll, tell, I'll tell you exactly why. Because it happens over and over again. Is that the guys you're talking about come over there with a checkbook. They open it up. They say, how much money do you want for that royalty? I'll give you anything you want. BMO is going to give me a credit line. I could pay you $100 million for it. Well, okay, then here here comes Brett. He says, there's no way I could pay you $100 million for that. First of all, because it's not worth $100 million. But more importantly is because it, that's that's way it's way too much for this asset. And I'll give you stock, though. I'll give you a little less stock. But when you take my stock, you're going you're gonna to take this ride from $1.20 to $8. And this ride is not just an accident. I mean, we're not hoping that somebody puts a drill in the ground and finds something. We're diligent in buying assets at the proper valuation and then piling them on. What happens is as you expand 50, 60, 70, 80 assets, your multiple starts trading higher and sellers of assets know. Now, perfect example of this. Last week we announced we acquired a royalty on core mining. It's in South Dakota, which is it's 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 very close to Mount Rushmore. We're not talking about a war zone with lots of problems, okay? So this royalty pays us, you know, over a million dollars a year beginning now and is scheduled to go for seven years. We think potentially, I mean, I'm sure the company wants to stick around there. So, I mean, the odds are they're probably going to try to keep producing after that. We'll see. But this is the type of asset where the seller wasn't interested in a bunch of cash. I mean, he's quite wealthy. He drives a Ferrari. He's a very interesting guy. He's a couple of ranches. He doesn't need, you know, a bunch of a bunch more money because then he'd try to buy royalties so with us he has stock in metalla uh, he can sell the stock if he wants to it's a very appealing sales pitch and the big guys can't do it okay that's fascinating because you, what you're saying is we've got more potential for growth than the big guys because we're small okay. we've got a ways to ways to go here and there's a partnership that you're trying to create i, I did want to ask you about core cur and um how how that came about because despite that there still are people in the same position as you who will offer the same deals as you so you know how do you, how do you, i'm talking you know people like mavericks or even you know ely sort of coming up coming up from behind those guys must be coming have the same sorts of conversations is this just down to contacts or your ability to do and structure deals 
Well, it's also uh, about performance. I mean, we bought assets from Core and gave them stock in the mid $2 range, and then they were able to sell all that stock uh, north of $7 Canadian in, in a secondary offering. It's quite a success story. I mean, if they had just sold those assets for cash, they wouldn't have had near that amount. So to the competitors, I mean, I know all these guys that, that you mentioned. These guys are social friends in the business, and they have a good pitch. But the reality is, is that when we give the pitch, we're highly confident because we can say, look at what's happened to the last 50 things that we bought. I mean, it, you know, it's it's not uh, something where you're bidding. You're just saying, look, I mean, if, if the guys that you mentioned can prove with the stock chart that, that it's better to take equity in their company, then maybe that's the best deal. But so far, it hasn't been the case. OK, so look, um, I want to understand, you know, again, the mentality of how you go about structuring the finance of this because I think what you're saying I don't care that revenues are down I don't care that year and year losses are, are up because this is a long-term business we're able to raise capital relatively easy and we can find deals because people want a piece of what we're doing here is that what you're saying no we're not really raising capital so what happens is when we go to buy an asset say the seller wants five million bucks for the asset we, we say how much cash do you want okay well maybe a million cash four million stock, okay, let's see if we can probably make that work. So each time that we do a deal, it's up to the seller kind of what they want. If they didn't want stock, they wouldn't be talking to us. I mean, they'd be talking to one of the other companies, right? So, you know, with us, it's like we're not, people, people get this wrong all the time. They say, oh, this is dilution. Well, I'm sorry, but if you buy a royalty with a 12% internal rate of return and use stock to do it, that's not dilution, that's accretion. When, when you sell stock to, to keep the lights on, that's dilution. Okay, so the royalty company generates plenty of cash, you know, to, to run its business and pay its bills. It's not burning things up, making widgets. Well, what we're trying to do is build the net asset value of the company. That's the most important thing. Everyone thinks about this, this thing as a widget company. They say, well, you run the register, you make the widgets, you're, you're losing money. But it's, it's not the case. It's kind of like in real estate. You know, you, you show an operating loss in real estate. Okay, because you're not trying to, this is a depreciation factor that's going on here. People think that it's kind of like a, a company that's like a chicken shop or something. It's, it's not, it, that's not the case. The, the deal is, is that you're trying to build the net asset value of the company and real people in the business, you know, the, the capital markets guys in Canada, they realize that the multiple on net asset value is how you value the business. It's not a PE multiple business. You're not going for that. If you look at Franco Nevada, look at all these other guys, it's all about building that net asset value pipeline and then catching that rise in gold on that. You know, you, you don't really have capital needs. You're not going to you're not dependent on selling some stock in a private placement. I mean, it's, it's, it's only going to be asset based capital issuance. OK, so, so that's the model. The, the, the days of raising capital have gone. You've got you've got enough revenue coming in and you've got a, a structure, a structure which you like and seems to be working. Let's talk about the New York listing. So you, you needed to do a four to one rollback there. Is that part uh, conditional yeah. on the listing? Well, you, you have a certain price threshold. I mean, they don't allow you to, to trade for nine cents, you know, on the on the New York Stock Exchange, unfortunately. But um, if you look at our trading volume, yeah, you go back and you see when you did this rollback and you and you listed in January, the trading volume picked up quite a bit. Uh, if you look now, the U.S. volume is, is quite a bit more than the Canadian volume. So so I think it was a natural part. We try to explain to people that there's there's significant U.S. Uh, funds that can't own cross border and can't get involved in the stock. Now, I would encourage people to watch how this core sale went 
you know, there's a lot of funds getting involved uh, that came into the to the stock because this was an, uh, an SEC registered kind of process, right? And so they were able, we were able to attract some people that have been wanting to get in, involved in Metalla, but the, the stock price has kind of continued moving higher and it's been a very tight market. And so this is a chance for them to get involved. NYSC made that uh, a lot easier. So what was the threshold? Uh, I think it's something like $2 and then a market cap minimum or something about it. But you'll have to, you don't quote me on that because it's been something in that range, maybe maybe three bucks or something. There, there's a there's a floor for listing, you know, you have to meet this this base listing requirement. And so, you, you know, people kind of don't understand why you do the rollback. I mean, and, and they think like, oh, is something wrong? Are you going to issue lots of stock? Well, I mean, look at the history. I mean, don't take my word for it. Pull up the history of the stock. I mean, there hasn't been a scenario where, where we've done that. So why would we start now? You know, the, the, the entire the entire premise of the company has been to build to build a portfolio, a world class portfolio, a diversified portfolio of high caliber royalties in spread out around the world in strategic locations and use equity to do it. And so to do that, you've had to make sure you manage the equity properly and be responsible with your shares. And so people that bought in day one and heard this pitch day one are very, very happy because they haven't had to do much at all except for just sit back and watch the portfolio grow. And that is not done. Okay, so with the rollback comes obviously less shares, less liquidity. Do you see that as a problem? Uh, is it something? I mean, and if you do, how do you overcome it? Well, it's kind of it's relative because you some trading two million bucks a day or something of stock. I mean, how much liquidity do you need, right? I mean, that that that's that's like pretty strong. And and so you you look and the liquidity's kind of stepped up and up and up and up. But you get to the point where if you wanted to buy several hundred thousand dollars of stock in a day, I, I'm not sure that we would notice. So I mean, I mean, that's that's. To us, I mean, that, that matters. I mean, you want people, professionals, to be able to come in there and, and pick up, you know, significant quantities of stock moving around without, without anyone noticing. You know, a lot of these companies, the small ones, they trade by appointment. So you want to buy stock at 10 o'clock, we'll buy stock. I mean, it's ridiculous. So here, I mean, we tell people all the time, you just, just go right in there. I mean, there's, there's lots of stock trading. You see it right behind me here. It's about to open up. I've got the the real time, you know, on both markets. And uh, we, we, we watch it because we want our partners that bring in assets to, to understand that this is not a prison. You know, you decide that you, you need money to, to pay for something in life. It's your stock. Do whatever you want with it. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk about risk mitigation here. Okay, so you're in uh, precious metals. So mostly, mostly gold and silver. Uh, gold doing extremely Only, well. only. Only gold and silver. I know, so I know some. I know some yeah, copper yeah. and a bit of zinc in some of this as well. That's why I say. In in uh, other company, we're going to take a company public in the fall that focuses on that. And, and the reason why is that we we feel like you've got to maintain rigorous focus on precious metal because Scotiabank puts out a monthly report where the precious metal royalties trade at twice the net asset value multiple to base metals. So if you mix base metals in, what happens is is you damage that royalty you start pulling that down and some of the peers which can go unnamed have occasionally dabbled in these other metals and what happens is is that you drag down the value of the gold and silver royalties. Oh, you better you better take some of those out of your presentation then i'll address it instantly yeah because because there we bought a copper gold royalty in chile but the 
the company, uh, the, the battery metal company that, you know, we could talk about in the future, took the copper, right? So, so Metalla took the gold as a joint deal. And then this company, now there's an advantage to doing that joint deal because you'll come across a portfolio where you'll say, well, there's copper in this silver and gold. What do we do with it? And we say, okay, well, we'll take it as well, but it's, it's not coming in to Metalla. It's going off into another company. And so, and so it gives us the ability to do more transactions. Okay, great. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I look forward to talking about that. Uh, what is it? Was it going to be copper and nickel, I guess? Those sorts of things. That's right. Beautiful. Okay. That's right. Um, let's park that, but let's come back to this risk mitigation component. Obviously, gold, big, big bull market at the moment. Exciting. People are, well, we talked a couple of weeks ago, gold, sure. gold's going to the moon. So that's good news. Uh, silver. Well, at least it's going a little, you know, up into the clouds. So maybe not the moon, but clouds. We'll, we'll take that. Yeah. Good. Okay. Your, your your avid followers would disagree. I think. I think, despite your uh, <laughs> your caution, um, but silver's got a bit of playing a bit of catch up. It's sort of at the seventeen bucks at the moment. I think people expect that to go higher. So, what's your what's your approach to doing deals in a bull market? How do you ensure that you don't overpay and you don't sort of live to regret it when, if the market corrects itself? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. It's all about discounting the, the future cash flows. I mean, you, you, it's all about what number you plug in for gold and how you discount that future value. And uh, so we don't really get involved in speculating or betting and saying, well, let's bet on silver really big. You know, if we encounter a silver royalty, we model that very conservatively, just like we would any royalty because if you nail down the the economics day one and the and it's good economics you can absorb some uh, softness in in metals whereas if you if you say gold's going to the moon so i'll plug that into my financial model what happens is usually digesting that you know it's 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 it's, it's stuck and you can't continue growing the company so i mean I, I too believe silver is going to have uh, some sort of dramatic rise at some point. I mean, and personally, I've, I've made bets uh, that I've, uh, give me about a year and a half to, to, to experience that. I, I, I do think that's coming. However, with the company, we're not going to make that type of bet. You know, we're eager to, to acquire silver royalty, but we're, we're very realistic about the silver price because we're, we're only willing to to model um, what we see right in front of us. And even when silver starts to move, it has to be heavily discounted because it's so volatile. So you have to be very careful with these things. Absolutely. And the other comp components that you talk about in the presentation are obviously geography, stage, and metal. Metal is easy because that's yep. two. You've only got two. Yep. But ge geography and stage. Is that is that planned or is it a factor of because it's competitive, because there's not that many deals happening at any one time, and when it is, there's lots of people, you know, in there competing with each other. Do you you have a rough plan of the development stage, as you talked about earlier, and you've got a rough plan about geography? Are there some geographies you avoid? Are you more North yeah. American, South America? Yeah. Well, I mean, what happens is it's all about how you value it. So if someone comes to me with a with a great royalty in the middle of a war zone, you know, I can't even send a geologist to look at it because it's too deadly. I mean, I'm going to model that and I'm going to apply uh, 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 economics down on that where, where I'm only willing to pay, you know, a quite low multiple on that. And then the seller says, well, come on, man, this thing is kicking out, you know, so much gold. You're right, it is. But but uh, I need to, to model that. Whereas if I'm buying something in South Dakota, then the 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 there's no, you know, armed bandits 
uh, at least so far there haven't been uh, in the last hundred years. You know, take, attacking the Brinks truck as it leaves the 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 the, uh, the smelter, right? So so everything has a price. Now the reason why I'm kind of building this picture for you is that if you're disciplined with that approach, then the diversity naturally sorts itself out because. Uh, I could buy stuff in a war zone all day long if I just said, show me the highest yielding royalties you've got. I mean, they, they say, well, yeah, I mean, we got stuff in the middle of nowhere. You can't even get there to look at it. Okay, great. But but if you're disciplined, then naturally you're going to pick up something. We have a great royalty in Tanzania. It's paid us for something like uh, almost four years now. Uh, we've had no problems with it. It's fantastic. And people look at our, our balance sheet and they just, uh, there's no value for that it's been great it's been fantastic now we're not necessarily eager to go and buy lots of assets in the in the area however we're open to it we'll look at it i mean we're, we're willing to, to to put the time into it and so it, when you go like that you end up with a lot of high quality north and south american assets you get some australian assets uh you don't see much in asia you know you don't not seeing a lot come out of there uh, seeing a tiny bit in Africa, you know, so so it, all of a sudden you look at the map and it makes sense, and you you have concentration in the areas that are you have strong uh, judicial kind of structures, and and you're able to have confidence, and then you you have a little bit on the fringe, but it's not um, it's not what you're building the company off of. Okay, so if I look at a lot of the numbers here, you know your your share price is nice steady growth, nice. Um, you don't really mind about revenue at the moment. Um, you don't mind losses at the moment. It's about the number of deals that you're doing. Where's the? But you're a 250 million market cap. You want to be a mid-tier. That's with your classification. That's half a billion to three billion bucks. Where's the inflection point, and how long does it take to get there? Based on your current approach to aggressive, quite aggressive uh, approach to yeah. deal making. Yeah, you're nailing it on the bullseye because there's a point when we try to explain this to people where you reach a certain level of diversity with your uh, with your assets that the market all of a sudden says pop and applies a higher multiple. And if you look, you know, I mean, Franco at times trades close to three times an asset value, whereas, you know, we're, we're trading at half that as a multiple. So, so what happens is you get to a certain level where all of a sudden institutions say, you know, this is this is worth a premium because if one of your assets, you know, falls off the rail for half a year, it's not that big of a deal, you know, because you've got you've got you end up with this spread where you don't have one big lumpy asset that brings in all of your value and then a bunch of other things that can cause problems. And so, to to answer your question, I can't tell you exactly when that's going to happen but i'll tell you that when you cross 50 royalties and you start moving up from there you're starting to reach a point where people say wow i mean this is not just a royalty you know this is a pipeline of deals this is a a diversified stream of 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 assets you know that's all working together and it's worth you know maybe a, a tick more than it's at least worth the average multiple Maybe it's worth a tick more than the average multiple. And that tends to happen quickly. And so now's a time where as a regular investor, you've got you look look at the stock chart and people are upset. Well, I don't know. It was a dollar twenty and now it's seven bucks. Ah, it seems like it's too much. Really? Because when it was a dollar twenty, it was quite lonely. You know, you had about three assets and, and there wasn't many people involved. And the market cap was like, you know, fifteen million. And you buy that stock then your broker's gonna tell you you're crazy. Okay. So 
when you look, it could be cheaper today than it was back then because you, you didn't have this in pages and pages of presentation that you're looking at. You didn't have it. And so now you look at it today and you say, wow, I mean, this is about to be at that inflection point where it begins to earn that mid-tier multiple. And I can, I can get involved in it and see everything that's, that's going on here and, uh, and get involved before it does that. And once it's in all the ETFs and it's, uh, and it's you know, highly covered by everyone, I don't know. I mean, then, then you're just trading as a proxy to gold. Let's be honest. I mean, that, that's, you get to a certain size you know, and one deal is not going to catapult you. Whereas now we're, we're at the place where you can get visibility, but also you can you can get involved as a regular guy. Right. So, so the, I guess there's this cumulative tension which um, is, is building and the inflection. Yeah. I mean, as you say, it's, it's, it's hard to call. But OK, here's a question for you based on the conversation from two weeks ago. We, we were talking about the economy, quantitative easing. What's coming down the line? Gold's a safe haven. You need you need to have physical gold, and that's what you did at the beginning of this program, right? So, what do you think is going to happen for the, with the ability of some of these companies, big or small, to finance some of these exploration projects and bring them through? Do you think there's going to be some kind of delay to some of that? Some of those numbers which you're kind of forecasting? Will the development projects be able to get? Their, you know, uh, capex, their, you know, their their plant finance. What's how's it going to impact you? It's going, it's going to happen, and the way it's going to go is at first there'll be a panic that the supply of gold is falling while the demand is rising. So you're going to kick into the bull stage of the market. Now, 1900s where that begins to happen. Believe me, this is 1900 like a magnet. You're going to run up to this. You go over it a little bit, wakes people up. I mean, in the U.S. The reason why I had to write the book, as you know, is that people think gold's illegal. They've never seen it before. They have no idea what the point of it is. It's crazy. So you break through 1900, you see interest, money starts to flow into the to the sector. Wait a minute, supply is going down. We need more supply. The big guys say, sorry, 2015, 16 was so bad. We, we cut all the uh, risky exploration. We've got our development that we've got, but that, that that's it. So you kick into this stage where people now they go panic hunting for assets. We're going to see a tremendous Canadian bull market in these stocks. Sadly, we're going to see companies that have no idea how to find gold changing their name from, uh, you know, ABC Cannabis to XYZ Gold. We're going to do a listing at a dollar. Everyone will just trip over themselves to give these guys money and message boards. And they think they might have found gold in Antarctica. I don't know. They just need a quarter billion to get it. This is all going to start happening. And you've seen this before. So. So the answer is, is that the first you'll, there'll be a, sh a shortage type of thinking, then there'll be the frenzy to, to get it. In the middle of that, you've got to keep your head. The average investor, I mean, listen to me, you've got to keep your head. Now's the time where you can look at high quality and I've got to spend 45 minutes, you know, show you everything to, to say it's high quality. You're, we're going into a time where when that frenzy kicks in, you know, if you're if you're an investor working with your nest egg, I mean, you, you've got to be you got to keep your head on straight because there's going to some things happen. You and I've been through that before. We've seen that. Right. And you, and you got to make sure you know what you own and you got to speculate. Okay, You have to play in that market. There's going to be chances to make big gains as this happens by being involved and being on top of these things. And then you got to keep your head. Why are you still paying dividends? Why don't you just invest in well, projects? Yeah, so so people 
hate the dividend, but our, our philosophy has been 50% of operating cash flow. So you, you look at the royalty company, you don't look at profitability because it's not a hardware store. Okay. So, so, you know, the depreciation schedules, you know, you have, you have all these carry forward losses when you buy assets that, you know, these losses come with them. So you don't want to look at, it's just like with real estate, with an apartment building or something, you don't want to look at, you know, net income. It's not the right metric. You know, you look at operating cash flow. That means how much money did we make based on, you know, compared to how much money did we spend? You know, by the time it flows through the rest of the accounting, you know, you, you factor in depreciation and all these different things that can that can confuse people. Okay, but operating cash flow. Now, our philosophy day one was 50% of operating cash flow should be given back to the shareholders, even if it's a penny, because it's their money. They're the ones that finance this whole thing. So philosophically speaking, People, when you have to write checks to your shareholders, you treat them differently. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an old school way of thinking, but I'm telling you, it's very important for the executives and the board of a company to remember that the profit in that company, the operating profit of that business belongs to the shareholders, not to anyone else. So we found that paying 50% of that out and then using 50% for growth is a, is a completely sufficient way to grow and also keeps us aligned with the interests of the people that made this all possible, which is the shareholders. And they continue to do that. And so they need to be rewarded as the business makes money. Okay. You can only choose one. Do people buy physical gold or do they invest in a royalty company? Well, I mean, I gotta say the royalty company. I mean, because because physical gold is not going to go up with so much. I mean, I think you should have it to protect your wealth. But the reality is, is that the multiplying effect of wealth in the royalty company shares that is is dramatic. I mean, it is so dramatic. I mean, I play with these models. What does another hundred dollars do to the net asset value of Metalla? hundred dollars in gold? It's unbelievable. I mean, as this starts to move, you know, it really goes. And so if gold goes from 1775, you know, to 2000, I mean, you, you've had a nice little low double digit gain, 10, 12, 13% right in there. Okay. But, but the, the reality is, is that that $225 move on Metallas and asset value is so dramatic because you have hundreds of thousands of ounces proven in the ground. These are 43, 101 ounces and you pull the value of that back into today and just, so if you have to do one, might as well make some money. Okay, and then you get to choose one of these as well. So you're a gold guy, you're a gold bug. It said it on when it popped up on Zoom, gold bug. So um, do you choose a gold royalty company or a nickel copper royalty company? Gold royalty company without a doubt, yeah. So, so what's gonna happen with, with nickel and copper is that you're going to have a surge and the economics are different. So, so that's why we've got a, a nickel copper royalty company because nickel is going to get hot and it's going to get so hot that it's going to make your head spin around and it's going to be too late to find these assets once it gets hot. But it's the economics are totally different because it's a demand and supply driven situation that's arising out of changing the way we fuel the economy. So, so that is totally different from what drives gold. And so, you know, if you mix those two together, you get all kinds of confusion and they've got to be kept separate because the things you and I are talking about are driving gold, which is a, which is a wealth and a money story, you know? And so, and so that's a separate story. And, and the gold trade is much easier. You know, the, the nickel copper trade, you, you got to be on top of that and you got to think, you know, we have separate management for that. 
you know, we it's it's a very focused approach, and that and it's that way for a reason. But you're excited about nickel, and you're excited about copper in the near term. I've bet a ton of money on on this. You know, I think I think I don't know if it's going to be a year. I don't know if it's going to be two years. It's too hard to know because there's going to come a time where people say, "Wait a minute, there's not enough nickel to make all these batteries." And then the average guy's going to say, "Why do you need so many batteries, man? I don't understand." Well, yeah, because look, I'm telling you that you you don't see a lot of smokestacks being built. Okay, there's a reason why. It's because the way you fuel the system is changing. And part of that change is you've got to capture all this renewable energy that's being produced. And you think there's a lot of renewable energy now, there's going to be way more of it. And so you've got to put it somewhere because the sun's out in the middle of the day and then all the solar power is produced and then it goes away at night. It's never going to change. So so that's that's a different scenario. And so I'm very excited about that. However, it's not a uh, I don't know if I'll write a book about that. I mean, I mean, I don't know that, that there's a. Um, that there's a a there's an importance with the message the why gold why now message is so important uh the 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 copper and nickel message is important but it's it's different it's not something that affects every single person you know i mean everyone has money you know and so and so the gold thing is something that's really people need to understand you know it's a it's a totally different approach beautiful eb great run through man um Love yeah. royalty companies as I said. Um, I like what you guys are doing there. Um, I hope you get that growth. I hope that inflection point comes soon and uh, you know, keep the deals flowing. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.